In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Please be seated. After four weeks of watchful and active waiting, lighting candles, contemplating the promises of God, and practicing whatever disciplines have been put on our heart to keep, the time has come. The Christ child is born. The virgin is now a mother. Christmas has come. Presents have been opened, or soon will be. The feast has begun. And yet, this is not the whole of what we wait for during Advent. Christmas and Advent leading up to it prepare us for the final consummation of Christ and his church. At the end of the age, by showing us the way through the things that have gone on before now. Just as I talked last week about how Mary and Joseph served as examples for how we are to wait for God's action and ultimately Christ's return, Christmas shows us what it is we are waiting for. From the beginning, the Lord God has existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. This has always been true. But humans did not know this until God showed it to us through the coming of the Son into the world as the baby Jesus of Nazareth. Christmas is the time when the church celebrates this coming into the world. It is not a time merely to exchange gifts or to be extra good hoping for the best presents or even to think highly of peace between all humanity. Christmas is the time when we contemplate with awe-filled wonder that the God who created the entire universe, everything from the lowliest subatomic particle to the grandest galaxy, from the most unknown spirit in the heavenly realm to the seraphim themselves, this God came into the world he created as a little baby. And yet, heaven was not deprived of the presence of God, nor was God divided nor depleted. Christmas is when we remember that the best attempt of the darkness to shut out the light has failed. Since the light has come into the world and illuminated humanity, driving away darkness and restoring humanity to what God intended us to be. Christmas is when we look forward to the time that the incarnate God, Jesus Christ the Son, will come again in power and great glory to set everything that has gone wrong since Adam's error in the garden back to rights. The introduction of John's gospel, which we just heard proclaimed, is among the most explicit language in Holy Scripture for the identity of Jesus Christ. The miracle that happened in the incarnation is so mind-bending and awesome, it is no wonder that the world takes great pains to reduce the wonder of Christmas to good feelings or myth-making about one of the saints. The incarnation of the Son is the miracle from which all the other miracles hang from, just as love of God and love of neighbor form the basis for the law and the prophets, 
If there was no incarnation, then there could be no sacrifice on the cross or resurrection from the dead. As wondrous as the virgin birth is, it pales in comparison to the wonder that is the incarnation. The virgin birth fulfilled a promise given to King Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah, a sign that the line of David would survive the subjugation of Judah under the other powers in the world. The incarnation fulfilled a promise that the Hebrew people didn't even know they had been made. Israel had been promised that God would come to dwell among them, that they would be his people and he would be their God. There is no indication that they understood this in anything other than what we would call the spiritual sense. That is, they were not expecting a flesh and blood God showing up in their midst. What Israel received was so far beyond what they expected. God the Son came in the form of a human being to literally dwell with his people Israel. And he did not simply show up in our world, fully formed and immediately working wonders. No, he was born as we are born. He was a baby, then a child, then an adolescent, and then a man. He grew and developed as we grow and develop. The only difference between him and us is that he remained sinless, unstained by the world, where we sin by our own frailty daily, if not hourly, or even minute by minute. The sun continued unsullied, pure, and perfect all of his days. The miracle of God becoming man, the son becoming Jesus of Nazareth, is more than a little unexpected. I would go so far as to say it is scandalous. Most humans deep down know there is something wrong within us. For God to become a human being seems like something that should be taboo or dirty. Indeed, this is how many non-Christians see it. And I think it must be part of what was behind the Pharisees and religious leaders' charges of blasphemy against Christ. Today, many Muslims find the idea of God having a son as something that is unspeakably offensive because it implies that God took a wife and had relations with her to produce an offspring. This, of course, is charitably ignorant of what we actually believe about the nature of the father and the son. Nevertheless, it is a piece of the reason behind their unbelief. At times during the history of the church, the idea that Jesus of Nazareth is of the same substance as the Father and is therefore God with the Father has been a cause for division. Human reasoning, absent any input from the Spirit, can easily come to the conclusion that the Incarnation makes no sense. The humanists have convinced themselves that an almighty God is so far above us that should he exist, so they say, he cannot be interested in us and therefore would have no reason to descend to be with us. Thanks be to God that our creator is more compassionate than our reason and is more concerned with us than we have any right to. For these very things that the unbelievers scoff at or, offend, or are offended by form the cornerstone of our faith. John tells us unequivocally that the word of God, whom we also call the Son and the second person of the Trinity, has been with God since the very beginning. What's more, the word is not just an emanation, emission, or projection of God, but is truly God. This word was present in the beginning when all things were made, 
and apart from him, not anything was made that was made. John continues in this prologue to this gospel, to his gospel, to reveal that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word made flesh is Jesus Christ, and he came into the world to show the Father to us. He made all things, and yet the things he made did not recognize him, rejecting him as one does a stranger, a criminal, or an enemy. In rejecting Christ, the world which he made has rejected God Almighty. Further, in refusing to acknowledge the incarnation of the Word as the Son of God, the unbelievers have rejected the very God they think they are keeping pure. The humanists, by falling back on a reason that is in actuality no reason, because it does not hear or believe what God has said about himself, show themselves to be against the best interests of humanity. Finally, those who claim Christ with their lips but reject the doctrines revealed in Scripture about him serve a false Christ, one created out of their own imagination, who is powerless to forgive sins or redeem the simplest atom of the fallen creation. Because we do believe what the Scripture teaches, we can boldly and confidently pray to God that we would be daily renewed by the Holy Spirit, the same God who sent the Son to be born of the Virgin Mary promised the Son, promised the Spirit through the Son. This Spirit of God is promised to us to dwell within us, to help us to worship God rightly, and to inspire us to good works. If the Son is not God, then his promises on behalf of God are meaningless. Similar to how Paul says that if Christ is not raised from the dead, we are misrep misrepresenting God. If the, if the Son is not begotten of God, true God from true God, then nothing he says about God can be trusted, and we are beyond pitiable. The Spirit is not within us, and our prayers for renewal are blasphemous. But again, thanks be to God that Jesus is the Word of God, the Son begotten before all worlds, his words are true, and his promises are certain and sure. How do we know this? Through the testimony of those who walked with him and those who have trusted in him through long years down to today. Countless Christians testify about the peace and assurance they feel in the face of danger, adversity, and other attempts to derail our lives in Christ. The things that Christ promised that the Spirit would do have in fact happened. Finally, through every attempt to stamp out the church, the body of believers has survived and thrived. This week, as we celebrate the birth of our Lord, I encourage you to contemplate what the incarnation means for your faith. In between feasting and gathering with friends and family, come back throughout these next 12 days and read the first chapter of John's Gospel. If you would like to dig deeper, I suggest reading St. Athanasius's work on the Incarnation, a fourth century treatise responding to the heretical teaching that Jesus Christ was a powerful creature made by God, but not of the same substance as the Father. May the God who sent his Son to dwell among us in the flesh renew us daily through the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen.